I'm Dr. Scott Lyons, and you're watching or listening to The Gently Used Human. What's on your mind? Love? Heartbreak? Chemistry? The enthralling dance of attraction and collision that seems to permeate through relationships? What do we do when that electrifying chemistry we feel turns out to be a misleading compass, guiding us towards recycled pain and destructive attachments? Which inevitably drops us into the shitstorm of a breakup, brimming with heartache. How do we prevail at breakups and get back into the exhausting workout routine of dating? Well, Amy Chan, our guest today, is not only a maven in unraveling the complexities of heartbreak, but also a pioneer in synthesizing scientific and spiritual approaches to healing and dating with success. Founder of Renew Breakup Bootcamp and author of the best-selling book, Breakup Bootcamp, The Science of Rewiring Your Heart, Amy dives deep into the quagmire of relationships, breakups, and the delicate art of mending oneself in the aftermath. In this episode, we venture into the enticing conversation about sexy communication, the psychology behind why we're magnetized to certain individuals, and the exploration of performative versus secure vulnerability. She teaches us how to forge new pathways and endings and beginnings, rewiring those gnarly old strategies we adapted early in life. So join me as we go on a date with the empowering Amy Chan. Let's get this party started. Amy, my Hi. love. Hi, boo-boo. Welcome to the Gently Used Human, or just welcome to us hanging out together again, which is like, oh my God, your voice is so refined and sexy. Has anyone <laughs> ever told you that? Yeah, but I don't try to make it sexy, or maybe I used to. And I think I was just doing like a wedding speech, and all these men came after me afterwards. They're like, I, "We really loved it." I was like, "Oh wow!" And then I listened to the recording of it. I'm like, "I sound like I'm just doing sex talk." That's why. <laughs> you <laughs> I'm sound like, no like wonder. You're, you sound like you're fucking the crowd as you officiate the wedding. Huh? That's hot. That is a career choice. <laughs> <laughs> Do you take him to be your lawfully wedded husband? Oh my god! Oh, can you go grab a book? I yeah. we're just gonna read random shit throughout this entire podcast in that voice. <laughs> like a cookbook would be great. Oh yeah. yeah. You think I'm kidding? But we are gonna throw out a recipe today. <laughs> I love that we're having a renaissance of our relationship too, and like. We met like over 15 years ago mm -hmm. when we were teenagers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we met because we were doing talks together. We got put together and I was doing a talk on – I have absolutely no idea what I was doing a talk on. I remember what you were doing a talk on because then you wrote a book about it and became all famous and shit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. And, uh, we were talking about love or something. Hacking that? love. Hacking love? Oh, is that – we were on like a hacking love conference together. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But both of us kind of sucked at love at that time. Oh, my God. Totally. We yeah. were both like shitty at it. Yeah. So I remember that conference. I'm like – I told the person we need to bring in someone else. I was really good at getting the first date, but I'm like, I can't make it last. So you need someone else to talk about that. 
Wait, was that supposed to be me? No, I don't know what oh, you're good. doing. Oh, <laughs> good. <laughs> I had this weird, vague memory of making everyone open their hands and close them several times. Oh, it was about feeling the difference of what it was to be open to something or someone versus close. Like, imagine yourself inside your hands and your hands are wrapping around as this protective barrier. And like, this is what it's like to be closed off. Doesn't it feel good? And then, <laughs> and then open your hands and let in some of the air. And how does that feel? I think that I remember doing that. And that being like the terrifying, you know, that was actually like terrifying to open up. Mm. Still kind of is. Have you opened up in your life to love? I have. I've done a few of those relationship thingies. Uh. But what I really want your help on is like, I want you to put me through a boot camp of how to break up with people. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> when I first saw the title of your book, Break Up Boot Camp, even though like, I knew what you did because we had stayed in touch, I was like, oh, my God, I would love a boot camp about how to better break up with people because I sucked at it. I would typically just pester them until they break up with me. Oh, or at least that's the story okay. I went with. And I was like, I bet Amy knows how to break up with people good. <laughs> or good Right. People. You tell them. <laughs> you t- <laughs> Amy, if we were in a relationship... How would I best break up with you? I would never okay. break up with you. That's the truth of it. Well, version now might not version because I'm now. a really awesome partner. But Version 4.0. Ten, yeah. 10 years ago, version 1.0. Oh, my God. You'd be like, get <laughs> away from you. You're so needy and annoying and just go and desperate. Oh. You would have just ghosted me probably. Or just no, like, you would have done a slow fade. I think in my adult, my Scott 4.0, I don't slow fade or ghost, but I often forget to respond because I'm overwhelmed by other shit. But intentional ghosting, I'm not so good at. I'm like, I'll wait a day and I'll be like, hi, I'll keep talking. I'll keep... Anyways. Okay. What else? What other options do I have besides ghosting or the, uh, the slow fade is awful. If you're slow fading horrible. people out there, stop. It's yeah. it's a meany, 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 beanie thing to do. Yeah, you put them through torture because they have these – they're just starving on these little breadcrumbs of hope, thinking mm. that maybe that high or that, you know, because you looked at their IG story, that that might mean something. And it just keeps them in this hope purgatory. It uh, sucks. Speak, speak. Rip the Band-Aid have, off. Rip the Band-Aid off. Yeah, last year I was in a slow fade situationship, and it was – no, it wasn't intentional, but I was just like, at one point I was like, tell me that you're not interested. Like, that actually feels a lot better than what this situation is where it's like coming and going and then not seemingly not interested and then once in a while interested. And Yeah. And the person who does either the slow fade or the I'm not going to break up and just let them do it sort of thing, often <laughs> – Old you. <laughs> Old me. <laughs> a lot of my clients, they yeah. will say to me, they're like, well, you know, I don't want to hurt them because especially, you know, their mom is sick. And I'm like, okay, let's just stop and be real. You're selfish. You're pretending to be the martyr and to be kind and you're wasting their time, their opportunity cost because you don't want to feel the discomfort of guilt. 
So you are being selfish and lying about it and lying to yourself that you're doing the kind thing. Oh. Now I remember why we stopped talking for a few years. I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, we lost touch and I'm so glad we found each other. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. I think that there's a way in which we can disguise martyrdom. I mean, we can use martyrdom to disguise our own like avoidance and our own discomfort and our own dis- you know, absolutely. I mean, nailed it. So, okay, so no to slow fades because that's meanie meanie. No to ghosting. What is the best way to break up? Like, is it throw a breakup party? Is it like a breakup proposal? Like, <laughs> okay, so a few things. I think yeah. that if you enter a relationship together, mm-hmm. you owe the person and the relationship to exit together. And what happens a lot of the times is you might start feeling something is wrong in the relationship. But instead of talking about it, going to therapy, letting the other person in on what's going on, mm-hmm. a lot of times people hold it in. And then they decide that, okay, it's over. And they're already broken up. They take a few months to process it until they finally hit a point when they finally communicate. And that other person always goes like, oh my God, I was blindsided because they didn't know. So that is a situation where you've made the decision on your own and you've just handed someone the memo. And I think that that's unfair. I don't think that's a very partnership-minded way to end the relationship. Now, if you are ending it however you got there, I think the kind thing to do is, again, rip off the Band-Aid, have a conversation, and in that conversation, your only goal is to let them know that the relationship is not working. You're not going to try to get all these secondary and third messages in there. You're not coming with a list of all the reasons why they suck. This is just like, this isn't working for me because they can't process all of the other bits of information. And depending on the intensity, length, the seriousness of that relationship, it might require more than one conversation. Oh, yeah. Wow. I love that approach, like this conscious uncoupling and partnership. Like, I agree. Like, I mean, it may not be that everyone's on the same page, that there should be a breakup or that the relationship is done, but to figure out a way to do it in collaboration, it feels so kind somehow or feels so in partnership. Yeah, it shouldn't be a big surprise if the relationship is going to end in a breakup. Because if you are two people communicating, trying your best, collaborating, doing whatever you can to salvage the relationship, Mm -hmm. you're both in on it. But when someone is completely shocked, that means that either they weren't listening or the other person was not communicating. Yeah, big time. I mean, I have found, you know, the art of communication in relationships seems so foreign to so many people. And maybe it's because, you know, I've hung around you for so many years or, you know, went to school to become a therapist. But I mean, it still shocks me of how hard and difficult it is for people just to like share just to express like what are some really fundamental principles or tools of sexy communication 
of sexy communication. I always say like being a sexy communicator. If you throw sexy on top of anything, (laughs) people are like, oh, I want that. So it's like how to be a good communicator. Good marketer. Yeah. Well, I learned from the best. (laughs) Remember when we used to play ping pong together and you were marketing ping pong companies? I know. I know. So some key tenets of communicating. I think we all have a way of reacting when Mm -hmm. we are triggered, right? We go into our survival state and understanding what your go-to reaction is, which has probably been there since you were a child. So do you have a tendency to avoid and you need space and time to process? Do you get defensive? Do you then turn it around on them? Do you use blame as a tactic? Do you just fall apart and you just want to keep talking even though it's completely going in circles? So you need to first identify what is your reaction? Is that working for you and the relationship? And if not, you have to, when you're not in an activated state, write down what is the healthier response. So if you are one that gets really defensive or you just take off, maybe that healthier response is to say, hey, I'm feeling flooded right now and I can't process my thoughts. I just need a moment to you know, take a break and I'm going to go for a walk. I will be back in two hours. You want to let them know you're coming back. <laughs> if you just leave without any timeline, you really put the other person in a very anxious state. And so that healthier response is going to be different for everyone. And it's going to take practice because you haven't built that muscle yet. And then you practice it. And that's how we evolve when we are in relationships. We heal some of these reactionary, maladaptive coping mechanisms that we've used for decades. Mm. I think something you said strikes me so hard of we don't just come into relationships. Like that's a hard part for sure. Ending relationships also hard. But the idea of how we are constantly in evolution together in partnerships, I think is also something that's not talked about enough. Like it's not something like we collide and then it's just static. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that relationships, your partner isn't supposed to be the one that makes you happy. Mm-hmm. Your relationship helps you become more conscious. Yeah. How do you feel about this idea that a partner is also there to help reparent you or repattern you? I don't think it's their responsibility, but I think that we are drawn to people because of some old things that haven't been healed. I think that's a key of a lot of chemistry and and a little bit of that is okay. And, you know, toxic trauma bonding is like a whole (laughs) other extreme. But I think that it's our responsibility to heal. And if we are with someone where we feel safe to you know, show ourselves our flaws and scars included and know that we can express a need and not get shut down or punished for it. That is very healing, but it's not up to that person to heal you or to become your new mom or dad. Mm, Such an important distinction of helping to create an ecosystem to which you can rewire and heal within yourself and try things out in that maybe were not available when you were a kid or in other relationships versus like, this is someone who comes in and just fills that emptiness or fills that need. Yeah. What a perfect summary, Scott. Uh, Your perfect summary. (laughs) (laughs) So, okay. Have we concluded? Do we understand how to do the perfect breakup? (laughs) 
I hope so. Do you? I, do you know what you're going to do next time? Oh my gosh. I hope there's a next time so I can practice, but I also hope there's not a next time. I think so. I think I would say, hey, this is what's coming up in me. I'm struggling with this sense of connection. I don't feel like there's quite the right clicking in terms of sexually or emotionally. How does that resonate for you and what's present for you in terms of the relationship? Yeah, I like that. I think that there's like many steps before necessary a breakup and you named it like there's either you weren't listening or someone wasn't communicating. And it's like this opportunity to like see if there can be repair work or make it better. Like it doesn't have to be perfect right away. Like, I don't know. There's this thing that I keep hearing about people share. And it's like, if you have to fix your partner, that's not a partnership. That's not love. And I agree and disagree because I'm like, hey, this doesn't quite feel right. I'm trying to figure out what is it that doesn't quite click yet. What is it within you? I have my own story about what it is. Can I share that with you? Like, and I tried that recently and it was massively successful. And we turned it around as opposed to be like, oh, we didn't quite have the right chemistry here. So bye-bye. Right. Yeah. I feel like we're in a culture in North America where there's so much about boundaries. And I think it's wonderful, <laughs> right? For people who have never had boundaries before, extremely important work. And I think there's been this excess of be hypervigilant of the narcissist, of the red flags, know your limits and your boundaries. And there's almost like this... I don't know if it's fake empowerment or this performative girl power that's going on. Mm -hmm. And it's causing people to block people out. And mm. I read an article in The Atlantic about a study where insecure attachment and avoidant attachment is rising. And I haven't looked into like the actual study of it, but I, I feel like it's true. And what's going on in the world, we're a lot more closed. And if you look at the data of the amount of like marriages are dropping, people having sex is dropping, like all these numbers, people aren't connecting. And I think like, great, we need to kind of go back to the balance of let's not have walls, mm -hmm. right? Let's build mm -hmm. bridges. And those bridges might mean that you have to dial up your compassion or your leadership or your patience or your strengths in some areas because you're dealing with someone who is equally wounded as you. Often. <laughs> I mean, I think it's even an important thing of question to ask, like, what magnetized you to them to begin with? Like, what in you was in deep resonance to what is happening or present in them? Like, when we talk about chemistry, I think it's important that we, like, deconstruct and decode this, like, amorphous term. Like, chemistry, it just happens. Like, you know, some higher power just threw us together with pheromones and whoo, it worked out. You know, like it's, it, it's much more complex than that. Yeah. We put a lot of priority on chemistry and this you lock eyes with someone and you want to rip their clothes off. And if it's not that, then nah, it's not for you. And I think that leads people down a really, it could lead them down a tumultuous path, right? Because we can be drawn to people because of old wounding patterns on a very subconscious level. And somehow we have this radar of someone who could give us just the same owie that is so familiar and feels like home. And then we're like, oh my God, it's so sexy. 
And then the person who's more stable or maybe isn't extroverted and charismatic and maybe hasn't mastered the skills of of dates and stuff like that, but would be a majorly incredible partner. We're like, mm, you're boring. I don't feel anything <laughs> with you. <laughs> but it all ends up in the same place. It like, all ends up the same it place. Ends up, like, you know, like the research shows, it's like, I think it's a 12 to 18 months is when we're on that elevated dopamine chemical cocktail that gives us that like, oh my gosh, I want to have sex like three times a day thing. And then it's not sustainable. Your body cannot sustain that. We would have no jobs. We like we would just be hot messes naked all the time. And that's cute for a period of time, but eventually you got to pay the bills. And so the chemicals shift and we move into the companionate stage of love and there's different chemicals, vasopressin, oxytocin, chemicals that suppress dopamine, right? What we wanted in the future, now we have. We're not wondering like, oh, are they going to be around next weekend? Like, no, we know every single day we're seeing them for dinner. It shifts and people don't understand that and then think, oh, there's something wrong here because I don't have that chemistry I saw in Bridgerton or Sex in the City. I love that those are your examples. I'm just thinking to myself, is that what I would be shooting for is Sex in the City? I've only seen one episode and it did not turn me on. Are you a big fan? I was. I mean, Carrie Bradshaw inspired me. And I try to be Samantha. I try to go to New York City and be like, I can just have sports sex. And I'm like a crying mess because like anyone I had sex with, I wanted to marry because I got attached oh, to wow. them. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm like, oh, I can't do this. So was it that you couldn't discern between like that high octane passion and love? I would feel bonded immediately. Wow. And would you still say as Amy 4.0 that that was actually true bonding? I don't think it was true bonding. Okay. You know, you dial up the intimacy physically extremely quickly before there's emotional intimacy. And so it felt like intimacy for me Amy 1.2.0, it was all the same fucking intimate pie. Yeah. yeah right? And yeah. I don't know. I don't know now. Like I've been in a relationship for four years, so I don't know if I would be different. But I do know for most of my life when I had sex with people, I was bonded to them yeah. much more than they were bonded to me. So yeah. it was just, you know, didn't work for me. But, you know, for other people, it's fine. Does this have anything to do with the fact that they were DJs? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. So like in my 20s, I only dated DJs and club owners. And then in my 30s, I only dated tech Tech entrepreneurs, right? (laughs) I'm like, there's no pattern here. They're totally different. (laughs) I'm like, I'm chasing them, trying to get them drunk, trying to like be perfect so that they'll choose me. I'm like, no pattern. No. Did you find all the tech entrepreneurs at Burning Man? Was that where you went? Oh, every Burning Man, new one. (laughs) Like clockwork. I would fall in love every single time. And you know what's so funny? The one year I didn't go is when I met my partner, the week of Burning Man in New York City. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Who's amazing. He's amazing. Amazing, amazing. And were you Amy 4.0 before meeting him or after? I think before. I think I had a good year of being pretty like healthy. Mm -hmm. And I met a lot of amazing men in that one year. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them could have been my partner. And -hmm. for whatever reason, it didn't work out, but they were good people. I knew I was on the right track. And so I met my partner, Paul. And it was really interesting because 
I had said to myself, like every year I go to Burning Man, I fall in love with someone, it falls apart, and I'm fucking so bummed and hurt. And the fifth year, I was like, okay, I'm not going to go. And I remember a week before the burn, this Mm -hmm. tech guy, he's (laughs) like, hey, if you want to go everything's taken care of like like the everything you just have to show jet. up just show up <laughs> and i was like oh and i call this a dangle it's like right when you're on the yeah. precipice of change the yeah. universe just does a dangle and it's like do you uh, really want it do you really want change and i'm like oh. i'm like no i am not gonna go and yeah. i said no and literally a week later i met my partner I want to take a moment to give a loud shout out to The Embody Lab, which is one of the most incredible resources for body-based and somatic therapies. This show is all about healing, and The Embody Lab does exactly that. Whether you're on your own journey of transformation and discovery, or enhancing your skill sets in your career as like a coach or a therapist, a body worker, or really any career where you are supporting other gently used humans, the Embody Lab is your place for deep, inspiring, and impactful workshops, certificates, masterclasses, and an incredible community of like-minded folks. I love the Embody Lab, and so do so many other people that call it a platform to come home to over and over again. The Embody Lab is giving my listeners an exclusive offer, a one-time 10% off code to enhance your embodied well-being. All you have to do is go to theembodylab.com and use the code GENTLYUSE10 at checkout. Amazing. I call those dingles the extinction flame. Ooh. Because like the pattern is almost extinct and then there's a little flame to test you and they always show up. They always will show up. It's like, it's part, I mean, it's studied in science too. It's like we don't ever extinguish fully a pattern, but we do have these occasional little flames to sort of like test us in these ways or that get activated. Yeah, I love that. So you did not fall into the flame and instead you fell into your hubby. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. I love that. Also, how is that entrepreneur doing now? That tech guy? I I stopped talking to him. (laughs) Yes. That sounds healthy. That sounds like the healthy choice. (laughs) Because he was a dangler. I don't know. (laughs) He knew how to dangle that carrot. (laughs) That Burning Man ticket carrot and that f- private jet all the way over there to that desert oasis. <laughs> wow. So how do you know at that, you know, four years ago when you met your partner that you were healthy? Like what were the symptoms that maybe either people told you or that you witnessed in yourself that that you registered as like, I'm in this I don't know whether we call it secure attachment or healthy place. Like what let you know? Yeah, I don't think I like landed on healthy island and I just stayed there. <laughs> but I think I had a certain level of emotional maturity and ability to communicate and not lose myself in someone. And mm. so, you know, it was just like a, a certain like level. And I had a lot of growing to do that I still, you know, when you're single, it's very easy to not get triggered. Like you're not really showing anyone 
yeah. like yeah. the true your soul and your essence and your secrets. And so, yeah, it's so easy. You're like, everything's amazing. And then it's like a whole other series of work that happens when you're in relation because all this old stuff comes popping up, like these like sleeping giants that were not poked and then they come with a vengeance. So I had to deal with those things. And I think that being able to communicate, to sit through the hard feelings And also, I always had this kind of card in my pocket, which was, I can always leave. And that as an anxiously attached person, that was my way of like, well, I could leave and cut that person off because I couldn't handle gray area. I couldn't handle nuance. It had to be black or white, yes or no. And I had to really work through that. (laughs) And that took me some time. It took me probably a good like year and a half before I was like, that card's gone. Yeah, yeah. You know, the interesting thing on the research around a shifting on our attachment stance, and maybe we can deconstruct what attachment is for folks in a moment too. The research shows it takes about three to five years to repattern, which is like, fuck, that's a long time. It's a long time to get to a place where you can feel that sense of anchoring in yourself and be expressive in relation to someone else, open and vulnerable enough and have enough membrane boundary to clarify what your needs are and say yes or no. Yeah. And is that three to five years in relation or can you do that on your own? The research was in therapy, but I actually think that there's a level you can't do in therapy. That there's a level, like I remember working with many clients and I said, okay, here's kind of our pausing point. We have found in this relationship and in your relationship to yourself, that secure landing place. And when the next time you are in relation, we will do the whole nether layer of the work because it just takes that. It takes the triggering, the friction that occurs to do the next few layers. Yeah. Because intellectually, you can talk about what you will do. Yeah. And then it happens and you're like, you know, thinking with your amygdala on high (laughs) alert and everything, all the theory goes out the window. All of it. All of it. Do you want to say a little bit about, because you use a lot of attachment-based theory in your work. Do you want to sort of drop a little bit of the overview of it? Yeah. we can do it together, whatever. So, I mean, you know more than I do, but like- Don't you dare. 15 years ago, you were talking about attachment theory while I was just having people open and close their hands. So, (laughs) there you go, my love. (laughs) So, basically, attachment theory is that by the age of around two years old, two or three, we develop an attachment style which follows us into our adult lives and how we relate romantically with our partner. And the three main ones are secure, avoidant, and anxious. And people don't talk a lot about the last one because it's like a very small percentage. But secure is you're not afraid of intimacy. You're also not codependent. You're able to work through the ups and downs of a relationship. You don't base your identity and your sense of self-worth on another person. And that makes up roughly around 50% of the population. And then there's avoidantly attached, which they have a very deep fear of 
when someone gets too close, that they're going to get smothered, that their autonomy is going to be taken away, and they need a lot of space, and they'll do what's called deactivating strategies to kind of push someone away, often not knowing that they're doing it. So whether it's like, I haven't met the one yet, or first three months are great, and you're courting them, and then you start noticing all their imperfections, and then you push them away. Then the third, which is what I used to identify with, is anxious attached. And anxious attached often comes from inconsistent caregiving. So sometimes your needs were met, sometimes they weren't. And your nervous system gets very frazzled and you become very hypervigilant to any cues of disconnection. Because back then, when you're a baby, that could literally mean death. And so there's this fear of, I'm going to be abandoned or rejected. And that's kind of the filter and lens that you see the people that you're interested in. So if a text isn't replied to by your partner right away, you might then be like, oh my gosh, it means they don't like me. You create a story and then you spiral. And then you might do what's called protest behavior, which is either trying to punish them, being like, oh, it took you four hours. Fuck you. I'll take four days to message you back. Or what I would do, I would hedge. I would sleep with other people just to kind of take the edge off. Yeah. And so anxiously attached tend to take breakups the hardest because they put so much of their identity in the other person and the partnership. Yeah. Well done. Yes, overview. Thank you. (laughs) Golf claps to that overview. There's a lot of research on there. There's a lot of books. And there's also ways that it's really interesting that these are also the ways we are in relationship to ourselves. Do I have a secure relationship Mm -hmm. to myself? Do I avoid my own sensations? Do I avoid my own emotions? You know, it's just to say that these are mirrored in our intrapersonal relationships as well as our interpersonal relationships, which I find really interesting. And sometimes they're not always the same. Yeah. Just to make it more complex. (laughs) Yeah. And it's really interesting because I think that avoidantly attached people get a lot of criticism Mm. and... I can understand that, right? Because if you're anxious, it appears that your avoidant partner doesn't care. Or after a breakup, you're like, wow, it didn't phase them. And we're not recognizing that they're having a stress response, right? When they did the test on babies and they saw how avoidantly attached children responded to their mother leaving the room in the strange situation test, they tested and saw that they had high levels of cortisol, right? Their heart was racing. So they were having a biological stress response, but not showing it on the outside. And so, yeah, that's what happens when they get older. They may not know that they're feeling this thing. And I think- It's an expressive desert. Yeah. And I think the reality is we do have more avoidantly attached people. I think it is trending upward. And you got to deal with it. So what the hell are you going to do? Like, sure, go and find a secure person. Amazing. But it's like musical chairs, right? Like eventually you might have to deal with someone who has avoidant tendencies and you can't just be like, you know, forget it. Like you can work through it. And I think in my relationship, my partner is secure, veers avoidant. I'm secure, veers anxious. And we've had to work through our differences. I mean, there's so much healing again in that. I think this idea that we heal in isolation is so false. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) It is in part our own work, but we heal in community. We heal in our culture. We heal in partnerships. It doesn't have to be a lover. It can Mm -hmm. be we heal in friendships. We heal in relation to others because a lot of the pain and, you know, ruptures 
didn't happen in isolation within ourselves. Mm -hmm. They happened in relation with other people or the environment. Well, we might reinforce those ruptures onto ourselves by like self-criticism and beating ourselves up and being painful to ourselves. They often didn't originate there. Yeah. So, Amy, we know how to break up with people thanks to you. <laughs> Can we turn the tables now? Not a turntable like a DJ, like you stated in your 20s, which I just like giving you a hard time about. How many DJs were there? Like, I don't know, over a dozen for sure. Wow. And where did you find them? At the club. I found them at the club. The club. (laughs) I would like show up. I'm like, oh my God, you're DJing tonight? He's like, yeah, Amy, it's I DJ every Saturday night here. It's my night. (laughs) Oh. Oh. Oh, you're a DJ DJ? Such a psychopath. I would just go beeline to the DJ booth. It didn't matter who you are. I just like, I'm there. So if I was at a bar mitzvah party DJing, would you be hitting on me? Probably. Nice. All right. We'll test those waters out. <laughs> I want to know, how do we do good dating? Mm. Now that we know how to do good breaking up, how do we do good dating? So I look at dating as like yeah. there's a dating funnel. And, oh, you know, I have a marketing Such a marketing queen. <laughs> right? Top funnel, lead generation. All right? Yeah. <laughs> it's just prospecting. And like whatever you need to do, online dating, setups, whatever, get top funnel. And then after that is discovery, which is dates one to two. And I believe on dates one to two, Mm -hmm. there's only two questions you should ask. Am I having fun? Do I want to see this person again? Mm. Too often, people are Mm -hmm. going into the first date trying to see where this person fits in their future. So Mm. even the questions that they ask – is like interview style questions of mm-hmm. like, do you fit? Mm-hmm. And I think it creates pressure. Mm-hmm. I think that it makes you not stay in the present. Mm-hmm. And you're not allowing this little, very sensitive little flicker of a flame to have the possibility of growing. Because you're also conquesting, right? Like I hear this, like, you know, there's a timeline, there's clock is ticking. I don't want to waste my time. Like, okay, if that's working for you, great. Go ahead and continue doing that. But most of the time it doesn't. And I know nothing like urgency dating culture that works. It's like, no one (laughs) likes it. Like "Mm, clock is ticking. I want to be married by like 38. Are you, are you on or you're not? Like I got to be married by Thursday. What are you doing (laughs) on Wednesday? Like you're objectifying someone as a means to an end to your plan Oof. Like, Oof. and I got a lot you. of slack for she this because I talked y'all. about it like you're just promoting hookup culture and like I'm not wait can we though <laughs> sure <laughs> then yes hook up here take hook up there. the pressure off <laughs> and when you ask that question it doesn't also put so much reliance on like is there this crazy sexual chemistry because yeah. if you have fun and you want to see them again that yeah. means that there is dopamine. It's motivating you to want to see them again. Your brain sometimes takes some time to process what type of connection is that? Is mm. it romantic? Is it friendly? Is it platonic? What is it? And because of mere exposure effect, like we like what we're familiar, what we're exposed to more, sometimes that thing that you don't know what type of connection can grow. And I've seen that happen with my clients. I've seen that happen with myself. So – Lay off the pressure. Dates one to two, am I having fun? 
off the pressure. Can I tell you, I once went on a date and the person asked me on the first date, what's your five-year plan? Oh, and I said, not answering questions like, what's my five-year plan? So I, don't, yeah. I was like, whoa, that's just so invasive. Yeah. Ew. Uh, anyways. Anyway. I hear so you. then one after that, mm-hmm. if you're moving through dates one to two, great. Good mm-hmm. conversion. Mm-hmm. Dates three. <laughs> dates three to, I don't know, 20, depending on how long and intense the dates are. That's the evaluation stage. And that is when you're seeing someone through time to see, oh, is there compatibility of values? Do we want the same things? Not just in what someone's saying, but in how they act. If kindness is a high value or generosity and they don't tip the waiter, okay, then you're seeing versus just what they say. And I think a lot of times people skip the evaluation stage because of the chemistry and they make up their mind about someone also because they've had a fantasy or they've projected onto that person. Mm. And they're like, already, like, I hope they choose me. You don't even fucking know the person. You are projecting. But so, they still want to be chosen. Like, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. you're waiting that they'll choose you because you like them so much, but you don't even like the real person. Mm. And so- You're pedestaling or pr- creating the projection of them, like the fantasy of them. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So the evaluation stage, it takes time. Sorry, there's no shortcut through it. And then after the evaluation stage, when you're like, you know what? There's enough here. Then you go to close. And close is you're leveling up the level of commitment. And that can mean different things for different people. That could be there's a label. That could be there's sexual monogamy. That could be we move in together, whatever it is. But there is some escalation of the commitment. And then the last stage is retention. And that's a whole other, you know, book and podcast. <laughs> oh, retention is like, how do we maintain, sustain? Yes. 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 So like when dating, right? Like I hear a lot of people who are like, I have dating exhaustion. I'm just like going to leave it to the universe. I'm not going to do anything because they're so burned by dating. But I'm like, before you do such an extreme, just where do you get stuck on the funnel? Where are you not converting? And create a strategy to help you there versus throwing out dating altogether. This show is also brought to you by the absolutely stunning and powerful tools for transformation that are created by Omala. Oof, even the name Omala transports you to a place of flow and vitality. These are some of my favorite products ever, like an amazing color-changing yoga mat that responds to your temperature and presence and reflects back your posture in real time. They have this incredible smelling skin balm candle that heats up to activate all the essential oils and vitamins that your skin has been craving for. I mean, look, if I could live in a giant bath of this candle, I would 100% do it. They also have these journals that lead you into a profound insight, and then you can plant those journals to create a stunning flower garden. I mean, damn. If that's not both deep and inventive, I don't know what is. If you're someone who desires to live in a luxurious flow of life and who believes in transformative wellness, then you have to check out Omala. Omala is giving my listeners an exclusive discount to treat yourself to something that is as special as you, boo. All you have to do is go to omala.com, that's O-M-A-L-A.com. Use the discount code DRSCOTT10 at checkout. 
and a portion of every purchase goes to an incredible charity. You got this. I love your shoots and letters situation of dating. Like, I am here for the ride. (laughs) That's such a good question. Where do you get stuck? Yeah. It's like, uh, I think that can help so many people break free of the exhaustion and guilt and shame around quote-unquote dating failure. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I... Like you said, I keep skipping stage two mm-hmm. and I keep riding through the fantasy of them as opposed to actually getting to know them. Mm-hmm. I can relate. I know what it's like to be fantasized about. No. <laughs> no, I know that place of being like, I witnessed it not too long ago of like starting a relationship and being like, oh, this is someone who I could live in this place together. And I started maybe looking at houses i don't know you're crazy not me and then i stopped myself because i was like oh i know this place i am skipping that liminal space of exploration Mm. because it scares me Mm. and i'm trying to close the deal right and not be in that place of vulnerability yeah so i just broke up with them instead (laughs) no i'm just kidding i stayed i stayed and had to be like i apologize like that energy I had in the beginning, it wasn't real to you. It wasn't authentic. It wasn't real to me. Wow. It was built out of fear. Did he notice? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh yeah. And he was generous about it. Mm. And I was like, I need a do-over. I need to like step back a little bit and be more vulnerable and share how I'm feeling and not in the fantasy of you and not in the fantasy of us. And I don't know what that's like. To actually step back and get back into the funnel system. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) The discovery is vulnerable, right? Oh, yeah. And I think some people are really good at, you know, the courtship conquest. They're like, I have a prize. I'm going to go get it. And they want to close it right away because there's a sense of victory that feeds your ego that, oh, I am enough. And Mm. you're just really using them to feed that. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how we can use dating in those particular ways of like, I'm doing this to puff up my ego, to puff up my self-esteem as opposed to being in a relationship. I'm not into pedestaling. It's a big, big turnoff, as I noticed for you. And I've heard you talk about pedestaling. And so I'm wondering, like, I'll share a story with you that I shared recently. Like, I went on some dates, two dates, and on that date... He kept pedestaling me. He kept being like, I want to do this. I want to do that. And I shared about this recently, but it was just like, I got to leave if you can't be with me. Right. Like, I'm so sorry, but like you're with a version of me in your head, but I'm over here feeling kind of lonely at the table. Yeah. Yeah. (sighs) Also, when they pedestal you, there's a belief of this perfection and we're not perfect. Mm. So the minute you show that you're yeah. not this perfect marble statue, yeah. then the like, oh, I don't know about you thing, the judgment comes in. Oh. And yeah, you're and an then, object. It's yeah, not sexy. Can, no. And then you have to contend with their kind of quick fleet or right. abandonment. Yeah. Which never feels great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and often triggers if you have abandonment pain mm-hmm. from your past. Okay, so we know the funnel Mm -hmm. now, and what we're doing is helping people identify where they 
do really well in, where their strengths are in that funnel, mm-hmm. and where their shadows are, where they skip or where they jump or where they avoid mm-hmm. in that process of dating. Yeah. Yeah. Like for me, like when we mm-hmm. met, like I told you, I was really good at getting the first, maybe second date because yeah. I learned all the skills. I learned NLP, I you yeah. know, art of seduction, the game, like all of it. Yeah. So I am a very charismatic dater. I've even gotten jobs, totally unskilled. I should not have gotten them. Got them purely based off charisma. So I know how yeah. I present. I'm in marketing and branding. I know yeah. what I am selling you. Yeah. But there wasn't the substance. I was yeah. a fucking wreck inside. Yeah. And I was pretending to be these things and being a chameleon. So I, this representative of me was coming mm-hmm. out. And people didn't know why it felt off. But mm-hmm. they're just like, something just doesn't feel right. And they mm-hmm. never knew. But mm-hmm. now I look back, I'm like, that's why. Because I wasn't even there. Yeah. Yeah. Can I share something with you personal? Yeah. And, and everyone else, just plug your ears. No. <laughs> Can I share something? A reflection of how different I experienced you like 15 years ago versus now? Yeah. When you shared things 15 years ago, 18 years ago, when we were on the circuit together... <laughs> Not the dating circuit. We were on different dating circuits then and now, but the teaching circuit. And I remember watching you and you were brilliant and you were charismatic. And there was something about the vulnerability. There's something about your vulnerability now that feels more aligned Mm. and authentic and organized. And then there was a way in which the vulnerability at times felt performative and reflection. I I know I can say that too, because we're we're friends, but yeah. like it's so. I'm wondering if you can talk to that the difference between performative vulnerability versus like the secure, organized vulnerability that like is magnetizing. Yeah, I think that it's something that can't be hacked because, mm. right, just like you can pretend to be confident and do mm. all these things, right? Like I'll look at a certain way and I'll put my arms like this, but. People can feel your energy, at least people who are attuned. And so performative is like, here's the bells and whistles and all of that. It's very on the outside. And if you don't actually feel it, if you're not Mm -hmm. grounded in it, it just feels off. Yeah. So I think for me, it's been just a journey of getting comfortable with myself and my flaws and like all of it. And just being okay with it most times. Mm -hmm. And if people don't like me for it, I'm also okay with it as well. But it's something that has been developed through time and awareness and practice. All these little things, right? Like even today in the morning, making the choice, I want to like just go on my phone and do all the stuff. I just like read this book, The Creative Act, which is like really beautiful. I just read a few pages and I'm like, I'm just going to take this moment to be present those little things that add up, yeah, people could feel the energy. Yeah. Yeah, it's palpable. I mean, I've always loved you. And it's not a reflection on your value, but it was like, it's just noticeable where it's like, I experience it, or the story I have is that I experience like, oh, it's so easy to be with that. Mm. Where perhaps when we were both younger and both figuring it out, like, I mean, both figuring ourselves out, it's like, we don't always know how to be with that performative aspect of vulnerability. Some, like as a witness, as an audience. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, should I lean in and hug them? 
Should I caretake them? It's that awkwardness. But when someone's like anchored in the vulnerability, like I experience you 4.0, <laughs> it's like, it's just as it feels like we're walking alongside each other and through a park on a river, mm-hmm. as we have recently. Mm-hmm. And it's like a transmission of wisdom that happens in that. Yeah, it is really different. I remember like dating this guy and I liked him so much. And like I saw him at a party and I like targeted him and like I did the whole thing, got <laughs> got his interest. And like after a few dates, he's like, why is your voice like that? Like you don't talk what? like that. And oh. I would change my voice. Yeah. And I thought like, oh, he might like the very submissive. And like he's just like, what's going on? Like this is so confusing to me. And then like he didn't want to hang out with me anymore. I was so bummed. Whoa. And now I realize I'm like, oh, that's why. <laughs> uh, at the time, could you comprehend what he was like saying or referencing in terms of No, I just thought if I was prettier, he would like oh. me. So I focused on that. I would like try to like wear prettier outfits and like mm-hmm. get my hair done. And like he eventually would not hang out with me one-on-one, but he hung out with my friends. So I would go to these things and I would look yeah. really hot. Yeah. And he just wasn't biting. <laughs> an asshole no no, i know i know but that's even our way of going like these are the ways we avoid recognizing our own contribution and it's like our own contribution to our own pain is not coming in its origin from us but doesn't mean we're not contributing to the further enactment of it right yeah What's funny about this guy is like, yeah. I also pedestaled him because I was like, oh my God, this and like, we could have like a country house together. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like, I think seven years later, I was visiting Vancouver and he reached out to me and we connected and we hooked up. And then after I'm like, I don't like this guy. <laughs> oh, so maybe that thing is over where I like got connected. I'm like, no, you're <laughs> fine. But this thing that- I thought you wore, I'm like, yeah. you're not. Yeah. Was that satisfying to experience the true distortion between then and now? I think there's a moment where my ego was like, oh, yeah, this guy that I was so into, I'm like, I actually don't like. And mm. then after that is like, how interesting, like the things that used to make me go all crazy. And I'm like, oh, you're just another human being. You're not this thing. Oof, that big divide between pedestaling and then the experience of rejection and there's like no nuance of actually experiencing the human (laughs) in there or your contribution and when that gets filled in when you actually meet that human as opposed to the pedestal version and you recognize like your own contributions and this is not to say like everything should be blamed on ourselves but to acknowledge your own contributions within that all of a sudden a lot of the reenactments, again, of like shame and abandonment and like the wounds that we're recreating suddenly can get dissolved. Like we come out of the narratives and the stories that we have set up mm-hmm. accidentally. Yeah. And it's, I think it goes back to, I think Mia Pia Melody's work. I remember reading something of hers that really resonated. Like, the wounded child and the adapted adolescent and the wounded child sees people like puts people above superior or inferior. And then the adapted just rebels against it. And I think that's what I used to do. I was in my wounded child and I saw people if they had status, if they could command a room. Right. Mm -hmm. And then in my thirties, it was Texios because 
they had created something that I didn't. So they were superior than me. And now I don't see people as superior or inferior. I see us all as people who want love, who want to be seen, who want Mm -hmm. connection. We all shit our pants sometimes when we have fucking, (laughs) you know, like food poisoning. Like we're all going to get old and it doesn't matter. Like your status, your achievements don't make you any happier or less. And what matters is your soul. And so like even if I spend time with someone who – is a higher status or celebrity. Like I don't see them as something different. And I think people can feel that when you are relating to them that way. And then, yeah, like you said, because you're in, you know, you have a book, you're out there. Like when people see you like that, it's weird. You feel something is off. Yeah. I mean, I often make a lot of jokes and sort of over-personalize things even on this as a means of tearing down that conception or that pedestaling. Not that people are necessarily pedestaling me, but by being really transparent, I think we take away the pedestal and really invite people then to actually be with themselves. Mm-hmm. In the but how do you do that? In the content. I mean, I think there's some ways by like saying like, oh yeah, I'm a fuck up sometimes in relationships. And here I am talking about like all those dropping these knowledge bombs about relationship. I think that that's a strategy. I think there's other strategies. I mean, I've done some crazy shit to depedestal myself. Like, especially like when I was married or in a partnership, I would consciously like leave the house in absolute mess just to prove how human I am and how not perfect I am. Or I would not talk about the good things in my day. I would only talk about my failures. Oh, wow. Like, and I didn't know it. I was in my early 20s. Like, I didn't know how to like... I just wanted someone to see me as the human I am. And I didn't know how to get them there without doing these extreme dramatic acts. <laughs> so I wrote a book about it. <laughs> you know, it's, You're it's like, what love do we all... me more than for my hot face and my six pack. <laughs> Is that so hard to ask? <laughs> oh my God. Leave my six pack alone. <laughs> There's more to me than this perfect symmetrical face and chiseled jawline. Ah, shit! I never talk like this on a podcast. By the way, you really are an exceptional. I I hope I bring out the worst in you and the (laughs) best at the same time. I well, this is another thing. Like, I feel like there's a certain like professionalism that again leads to pedestaling leads to this divide, this hierarchy of knowledge and transmission of information. And I think that, like, don't judge me. I went to the Pink concert. Not that you would judge me for that. But I had this full experience of, like, I'm like, Pink's my friend. (laughs) And (laughs) she's not. I would love her to be my friend. (laughs) But, like, there's this energy that she has where it didn't feel like a hierarchy. Where it's like, I mean, granted, there was a moment of delusion where I was like, we could be friends, which may not be delusion someday. Pink, if you're listening, wow. (laughs) But like, there's a way in which her energy, the way she talked to people, the way she connected with people, I was so inspired by of going, we don't need a hierarchical system to distill knowledge and experience and have relationships. That there's a way in which bantering back and forth and being playful in this way can perhaps be more easeful or be more of a pathway 
into sharing wisdom that we've acquired through experience and some knowledge. So, Pink, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) Who does that for you? What? What celebrity music star? I just saw Coldplay, Chris Martin. Oh, Oh my God. (gasps) I think he did the exact same thing. Like, just so... I mean, at least what I experienced was that he was this humble, grateful, and the way that he just, the experience was so connecting. I like Mm -hmm. cried like a baby, like tears of joy, tears of, I don't know what, but it was an experience. So Chris, if you're listening, thank you for Fix You. (laughs) I love that you also just did that in your sexy voice. This is what friends are for. It's just like <laughs> reflecting back the fun stuff. Maybe not always the fun stuff, but Chris, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try, try I don't try think it. I can yeah. do it sexy. Okay. You can. <clears throat> this is what I want the most feedback on is, can I do your sexy voice? Okay, go. But I want to talk about something that's perhaps not sexy. Oh, here go. it goes. Today, I stubbed my toe and it bled. So I put a band-aid all over it. Mm, a little American no. Psycho vibe, but we can work <laughs> on it. Wait. wait. <laughs> right? Is it the content or the voice? No, I think American it's the voice. Psycho. We just got to tweak ah, it a little bit. It's shit. okay. Tweak it. Yeah. Tweak me. <laughs> how, Chris, how, yeah. today Chris? I yeah. stubbed my toe. You want to oh, make it so a little raspy? Okay. And it bled all over the place. Oh my god, I'm wet. <laughs> That's the response you wanted, right? Okay, let me try it again. <clears throat> Chris. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Sexy is something that's eluded me in my entire life. Like, I just, I know that, like, there are reasons why I don't understand sexy, just my developmental stuff, but, like, it's so elusive to me that, like, awkwardness is my jam, <laughs> but, like, sexiness is, like, something. Will you be my sexiness coach? I don't fucking know. You you coach people all over the world, okay, about like (laughs) relationships. And what else do you do in that regard? So like healing relationships, do you help them be a little more sexy? I help them date and learn like dating mastery skills. Tell me about that. Like how do I – I'm switching from – we'll come back to me being sexy someday or sexy voice someday. All right. Okay. How do you help them master dating? So again, we skills? look at where they get stuck on the funnel and okay. I'll listen to what are the patterns that they're experiencing. So if someone's like, yeah, I can get the first date, but I can never get the second date. And I'm surprised because mm. I think the first date goes really well. And then we do a little bit of digging and then we find out like the entire time they're talking. And so the other person <laughs> isn't getting the feel-good chemicals because they're not self-disclosing yeah. and you are. Yeah. So you leave the date feeling yeah. amazing and they don't want to see you again, right? Yeah. Or it's the other way around. They're like, oh, I never feel chemistry with people. And then I find out like, oh, it's because they work in the wellness or they're a nurse. And so they're really used to being very good at listening and asking questions. So they keep kind of doing that, allowing the other person to dominate the space with Mm -hmm. conversation. And then they'll leave and they'll be like, oh, I don't feel anything. Or they're not revealing anything about themselves. So understand like what is the pattern? What needs to be tweaked? Mm -hmm. 
then I'll have them exercise and practice it. For a lot of the people I work with, they're very high achieving. They're very in their heads. They do not know how to access a sense of play or wonder Mm. or fun. And they're usually the ones drawn to people who are a little chaotic because it can bring out something because they're so numb. So for them, like before they do anything, I'll tell them to go and take dance classes, do something that doesn't have an outcome or an achievement tied to it or making money and like get them starting to be comfortable in their body. So there's all these different things from little tactics to little homework assignments to more bigger picture things. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that. I used to have a practice I would do with a lot of my um, high achievers where we would do a practice called the unnecessary. Mm. And I would make them basically just so they had to start on one side of the room and get to the other side of the room. And they had 20 minutes to do it, but they couldn't walk in a linear pathway. And they had to anytime they started to make a plan, they had to do something spontaneous and organic to interrupt it. Mm. Doing that with CEOs was so joyful to me to see the <laughs> chaos that ensued. And then like the little child that got freed. They're wow. like, why have I not been doing the unnecessary for my entire life? I have been doing everything by the rule book and so linear. And like everyone told me to. And they, they don't even necessarily realize that they were also contributing to that sort of narrowness of play, narrowness of possibility. Yeah. Cool. So you have them play. I love that. I love that you make them go like take dance classes. Do you ever do like role play dates? Like where they do you find it in vivo? Like what the patterns are, what the challenges are? Yeah, I don't do role play. I'm going to launch a dating boot camp where there will be role play where you'll learn the skills and you actually have to practice it with a partner. But yeah, basically, I also have them do a dating experiment. So they have Mm -hmm. to date 12 different people. And they're not allowed oh. to get into a relationship with any of them. Oh, that's harsh. You no, know, it works. 75% of my clients who've done it are yeah. in a relationship. Yeah. With one of those people? Yeah, they always fucking <laughs> don't finish it. But every single one of them, they say, wow, I'm with someone I would have never given a chance to. So like I'll have really? them like if they have a height requirement, which all of my female clients do, they have to lower it. And then they have to date someone who is their height or shorter for the men who are like, oh, I want to, you know, a family and a partnership. And then their age range is like 23 to like 28. You have to change that. You have to practice. You have, on one of the dates, you have to date someone who's 10 years older. And so it also takes the pressure off. If you know you're not allowed to get into a relationship with them, you show up differently. You're not being like, Mm. oh, or pretending because you're not allowed to be with them. And so what ends up happening is you go in without judgment, without pressure. And then you're like, oh, I just enjoy spending time with this person. It's fun. And they go again and they go again. And it changes what their familiarity is. So it shifts their what I call their chemistry compass. So if they started mm. off only having chemistry with people who are very unavailable, it's because that's familiar. So we almost change their palette to get used to, oh, it feels nice when someone you know calls me after, when they show up, or when they're interested and curious. Okay. And then their baseline starts to shift. And so by the time around like eight, nine, their chemistry compass has changed. Wow. I love that. And such a good term, chemistry compass, and the expansion of the palette. Yeah. Like, I mean, I think about like, I don't know, my nephew who will only chicken nuggets. That's it. And like, you introduce like a carrot and it's tossed at the, you know, it's tossed at whomever is closest by. But like, 
you know, if we take that extreme example and apply it to dating, and it's like, so you have this screeching toddler who's only dating this particular, not dating, but you know what I mean, dating these particular people with these type of things, and you start to expand their palette. It's like, not only do they realize other things they might like, yeah, but other things about themselves that they didn't know. Yeah. And a lot of That's people amazing. have these preconceived notions, even if they say they don't have a type. They'll be like, mm-hmm. no, I have to date someone who, you know, makes the same amount of money or I need to date mm-hmm. someone, blah, blah, blah. All these things that like shiny qualities that don't matter. And you find yeah. like a lot of people, they end up meeting someone who's very complimentary. Like I had one client, she was always told by men that she was too much, too emotional, mm-hmm. too sensitive. And she tried to change and like be more demure and more feminine energy. And it just wasn't working. For eight years, she was single and she started to like really embrace who she was and, you know, did a lot of self-work. She came to break up boot camp twice and she started dating this guy who is like an engineer and he's very introverted, quiet, and he loves that very thing about her that all these guys thought was like awful. He loves it because he doesn't have it. So they're super complimentary together. And, you know, they're like, they just bought a house together. Mm. You're a miracle worker. I think I help people see their blind spots and mm-hmm. then help them with like some steps that are yeah. just pushes their edge a little bit, but not too far mm-hmm. off so that they won't do it. And then yeah. they end up yeah. in a different place. I mean, that sounds like beautiful work to me. Thank you. I really appreciate how your own journey and how far you've come in order to be able to do that for so many people in the world. Thank you. I think teaching it really reinforces it. I think I've been through mm. my own boot camps. Every session I still sit in. So that's 24 breakup boot camps I've been through. And like Damn. I am changing every single time and mm-hmm. learning more. And so I feel like it's such a gift that I do mm-hmm. this because yeah. in it I'm healing myself. Yeah. And the breakup boot camp is the work that you've created. It's like a journey that you've created for people to find themselves, heal from past breakups, release these old sort of stones they're carrying around in their jacket pockets and kind of afresh themselves to new possibilities. Is that right? Yeah. It's to help them process the breakup or divorce, but more it's about understanding their patterns their beliefs, some of them subconscious, and helping them pattern interrupt so that they don't create the same emotional experience with another person. Because it's never just about the ex. There's recycled pain. Oof. Speak. Recycled pain. (laughs) (laughs) We love that recycled pain. We don't love it, but we love it because it's the familiar. And so it sometimes just feels so much better to upcycle than it does to find something new. And so you have this breakup boot camp, and now you're creating this dating boot camp, which is like an immersion into the funnel system and through it. Yeah. So same thing. Like it's going to be in person. It'll be like multi-day in nature. And I'll bring in a team of different experts, like from psychologists. Like I have, I bring in a dominatrix to my breakup boot camp. I'm sure I'll bring this, the same dominatrix to the dating one. Um, and I would hope so. Yeah, she dissects power dynamics, and that's a huge thing that yeah. happens in relationships. Yeah. So those are the physical retreats, and then 
And then my podcast, Breakup Bootcamp. I know. Congratulations on your new podcast. Thank you. Thank you. It's so exciting. And so if people want to like join in on your Breakup Bootcamp or your dating bootcamp, how do we get involved? How do we yeah. do this? Just go to renewbreakupbootcamp.com. It's all there. And you can read my book. You can listen to my pod. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And your socials, how do we find you on the socials? Miss Amy Chan. Miss Amy Chan, indeed. <laughs> Miss Amy Chan. M-I-S-S. Keep going. Spell it out. Spell the whole thing. Don't stop there. You're getting it. I think Am I? when you're not in pressure. Yeah. Oh, isn't that always the case? When we take the pressure off of dating, when we take the pressure off of trying to be sexy, we just Full circle. Look at us go. We're all about full circles today. Coming back home to our friendship after so many, and hanging out again after so many years, collaborating, you know, stirring shit up in the world, just like the old days. Yeah. Amy, thank you so much for being on the Gently Used Human. It is such a pleasure. Thank you for your deep wisdom and your vulnerability and your knowledge and way of structuring and organizing these pathways of healing and these pathways of understanding dating and our relationship to it or just relationships. And it's so brilliant. I really want to honor the brilliance in what you're doing. Thank you. This was so fun. So fun. More soon, lovey. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. Find Amy everywhere on the socials, at her boot camps, and with her books, Break a Boot Camp, and check out her podcast. Get it. Yay! Thank you for listening to the Gently Used Human podcast with Dr. Scott Lyons and friends. Visit GentlyUse.com for fun extras, including submitting your questions for advice from a Midwestern mom. And don't forget to spill the tea and gossip about the show with all your friends and frenemies. And show some love by giving us five stars and leaving a review in your favorite apps. This helps us connect with all the other gently used humans out there. Oh, and by the way, you look fierce today.